This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Trump campaign senior advisor Jason Miller helped get President Trump elected in 2016, and he's hoping for a repeat this November. Miller joined the Washington Post to discuss the campaign strategy to win swing voters in crucial states and the key issues they believe will fuel the president's reelection. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Bob Costa, a national political reporter here at the Washington Post, and welcome to our Washington Post live coverage of the Republican National Convention in these times during a pandemic. Our coverage this afternoon begins with Jason Miller. He is a senior advisor for strategy to the Trump 2020 reelection campaign. I've known Jason for years, covered him. He's been an advisor to many presidential campaigns, including President Trump's 2016 bid. He also worked for Senator Ted Cruz and others. He's here to talk politics, the map, and other issues. Jason, uh, thanks for being here. Bob, good to be with you, and uh, thanks again for the invitation. It's Monday. I just got off a conference call with the campaign and other reporters about the whole schedule. A convention's all about trying to win the election, but it's also about perhaps reaching out to new voters, to more voters. What will President Trump do and say this week to do just that? Well, I'm really excited about a lot of the new faces, a lot of the new voices you're going to see. The theme of the entire week is the great American story. And we're going to go through and start talking about the, the human stories, how people have been helped by the policies of this administration in the first four years, how President Trump wants to lead the nation forward in the next four years. I think it's going to be a big contrast from this week as it was from last week. I think last week with the Democrats, uh, there was a lot of talk about Joe Biden. And I think Joe Biden fell into a bit of the Hillary Clinton trap. And what I mean by that is they try to make the convention all about him. It was almost kind of like a 2020 version of I'm with her, but this time it was I'm with Joe. And the problem when you do that and you don't really give someone uh, a reason to be for a particular candidate, it's like a bunch of empty calories. That's why um, Joe Biden didn't get a big move, uh, bounce in the polls coming out of his convention. Uh, we saw an approval increase, that's fine because he had an entire week of people saying Joe Biden's a nice guy, but you didn't really give people a reason to vote for him and against the other guy. This week you're gonna see with President Trump a real reason to vote for him. Um, and I think there's gonna be a complete realignment of what the perception is of who Trump supporters are, uh, what Trump supporters mm -hmm. look like, what Trump supporters believe, uh, why people gravitate toward this once in a uh, generation, once in a lifetime candidate and president uh, in Donald Trump. And you're gonna see Jason, a lot of voice, a lot of, yeah. Just to bounce in for a second, you said any party has to give voters a reason to vote for them. It's apparent that the Republican platform is no longer part of this convention. Instead, there's a second term agenda. What's the calculation there to not have an actual platform? I think what we want to do is put the focus on here's exactly what President Trump wants to go and do. And this is following up on 2016 with what he ran on. Uh, we had a very simplified um, uh, theme last time with Make America Great Again. Talked about cutting taxes, getting better trade deals, 
build the wall and uh, and the uh, America first foreign policy. This time we're gonna see continuing on with the jobs uh, message. I mean, that's really the, the differential in this race. President Trump is the jobs candidate. Uh, people trust him much more than they do Joe Biden to handle the economy. We had a great one until COVID hit. He's building it back now. Uh, we're gonna see a push to, um, on the campaign side, we'll talk a lot about eradicating COVID. And Bob, I think this is a key differential between President Trump and Joe Biden. Joe Biden wants to go and manage COVID. His solution is uh, if he were to be elected on day one, uh, if one of the scientists were to say we need to shut it down, uh, Joe Biden would like nothing better than to just hang out down in the basement in Wilmington, or I guess if he were to win somehow, then maybe in the, the basement in the, uh, in the White House uh, and shut the entire economy down for months on end. Donald Trump wants to eradicate COVID. There's a, a much uh, different distinction, different paths there. Also, you're seeing from the- Like, like we pause there, term, Jason? Yeah. Yeah. If the president's priority in this second term agenda is to eradicate COVID-19, that's one of the top items in this second term agenda the campaign has released. Will he mandate or mandate the wearing of masks and encourage that at the convention? Uh, and will he encourage people to socially distance? Will he use this platform for those those kinds of positions? So this week during the convention, I think you'll see uh, people at various points, if they're unable to socially uh, be distanced from each other, then you'll see a lot of people wearing masks. Uh, keep in mind, it's a different uh, setup and, than your typical uh, convention. What we've seen in the past, we don't have a big, huge auditorium or, or uh, arena with 15,000 people that are all packed in. So you'll see a lot of people wearing masks, a lot of people that'll be uh, distanced, uh, or sometimes people, they if they are close together, have a mask on, but maybe not distanced. Um, so you'll see kind of a, an all of the above on this. We take it very seriously at all these events. We do have COVID advisors uh, at all of our events to make sure they're being run safely, uh, hand out hand sanitizer, uh, obviously hand out masks, uh, something very strongly encouraged and we've seen the president encourage this as well whether it be uh, will he wear a mask, mask wearing, at the convention uh well when he comes out to speak obviously he wouldn't be wearing uh, a mask as far as for uh, his appearance uh but a lot of times he'll wear a mask or we've also seen uh he uh, he's encouraged his own supporters to wear masks we've seen that whether it be in the emails or in the tweet messages and different things like that uh so he, he's taking this very seriously but again i want to get back to one thing here bob when you talk about the vaccine it's the quest for the vaccine to go and get this done. And again, this is the uh, one of the big differentials between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. We've seen with Operation Warp Speed, we're on pace to get that vaccine by the end of the year. This is the this is the differential between the two. Joe Biden wants to manage this. He just assumes that COVID's going to be here in perpetuity. No, Donald Trump is going to eradicate COVID. Jason, you brought up vaccines. Uh, there's some skepticism toward vaccines among some Americans. Will the president encourage Americans at his convention as he pushes to eradicate COVID? That's his priority, he says. Will he encourage Americans to eventually take the vaccine? Well, ultimately, it's not up to the president to encourage Americans to uh, take the vaccine. I mean, once the uh, the scientists come out and say that this is safe and that this is approved, uh, then I think that's uh, the responsibility of everyone, whether it be the, the scientists, whether it be folks in the media, uh, whether it be our elected officials all the way across the board. But this isn't just the president saying, uh, go out and take this. I mean, first and foremost, we're going to make sure we have a safe vaccine that's ready to go, but we already have the distribution channels. Uh, they're being set up, the, the mass production. Uh, president Trump has been using the Defense Production Act uh, to get things ready on that operation warp speed. And and again, the whole point here is he wants to eradicate COVID. And I think this is a much different approach to what we're seeing from Joe Biden.
When you look at that second term agenda, it does not explicitly say repeal and replace President Obama's health care law. Why is that? Well, certainly parts of that are being dealt with in the court right now, and some of it will be dealt with as far as some of the, the health care moves um, uh, in other ways going forwards. So we talk about ending surprise billing. We talk about different measures that can be taken to lower cost of premiums. Uh, obviously, the president's made some pretty strong moves already on lowering the cost of prescription drugs. There are a couple other things uh, that I believe they're in the work that we can even see between now and Election Day on this front. Uh, and so these are some real positive steps that we've taken so far. Um, and again, I think you're going to see some more things in the uh, coming weeks here. But is the campaign's position and the president's position still to repeal and replace that law? Oh, well, I think uh, the the mandate, we, of course, um, uh, are against the, the unconstitutional mandate um, and ultimately want to replace it with a better health care plan, I think, with President Trump's health care plan. Um, and so that's, like I said, you're going to see some more things uh, coming up on that in uh, very shortly here. Was there any disagreement, Jason, inside of the campaign about having Secretary Pompeo speak, a national security official speaking at a political event? No, not at all. Uh, I think Secretary Pompeo is a uh, is doing great work for the American people. And if he wants to uh, show up and voice his personal opinion, uh, then uh, so be it. I, I don't see any issue with that. And I think that uh, people are going to really be, um, uh, people are really going to like the remarks that we hear from Secretary Pompeo. I think as we talk about uh, some of the uh, the great progress we've made around the world with restoring uh, some of the friendships, I think, that were damaged in the previous administration, uh, but then also uh, making other folks pay their fair share, uh, but also wiping out assets Aspects of global terrorism uh, and even brokering peace, as we saw with the uh, United Arab Emirates and Israel deal just last week. One of the key speakers tonight is Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Will he and President Trump later in the week speak to the racial justice protests? And specifically, will they speak to the shooting in Wisconsin over the weekend, a black man by white police officers? You're going to hear a lot about law and order. You're going to hear a lot about the work that President Trump has done over this first four years. Uh, again, whether that be with the sentencing reform or with policing reform, uh, you know, it is pretty noticeable that uh, for the all the rhetoric that we hear coming out of Joe Biden's camp, um, I didn't see uh, Joe Biden getting uh, sentencing reform done during his eight years in the White House. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe the White House has a great basement and he was camped out down there for eight years. Bob, uh, you might know better than I do. Uh, but these are things things that President Trump has actually gone and gotten done. Um, now, as far as with the uh, the shooting in Wisconsin, I think it's too early. I don't want to offer political commentary on that just yet. I want to make sure that we have the facts and Chief of Staff Meadows, um, I know, was briefing the president on that this morning. Uh, so I'm going to let the president address that. Um, he may do that as soon as today uh, while he's down there in North Carolina. Uh, but I do know that, uh, that Senator Scott uh, will be talking about what unites us as Americans. Uh, I think this, uh, Bob, I want to take the opportunity to mention last week. I think this is one of the, the key differences between last week and this week. I think last week really fell into too much of identity politics. I think it, it fell too much into uh, people trying to put up false divides or to go and say, here's what divides us. At Ameri as Americans. Uh, we heard a lot of grievances. I think I referred to it uh, previously as a, a grievance fest. Um, there didn't really feel like there was an upbeat, optimistic tone. This week is about what brings people together. You're going to see that message from Senator Scott, uh, which are some very powerful remarks. Uh, and I, I don't want to get ahead of his speech, but uh, I think you'll be impressed. Same thing with President Trump. And I spent a few hours with him yesterday as he was working on his speech. Uh, and I think it'll be a lot of this will be about what unites us as Americans. 
I brought up vaccines earlier after you brought up the topic, and there is some conspiracy on vaccines out there. There's also this QAnon conspiracy uh, that has been present at some Trump rallies in terms of what audience members are putting in the air on signs. Uh, Vice President Pence has recently disassociated himself with it. Will President Trump do the same? This is a group, at least one FBI office says, could be a risk for domestic terrorism. Bob, you know, this, is, uh, this isn't hyperbole here. You are literally the first person from the media to ever ask me about QAnon, and you are the first person to ever ask me about QAnon. This will literally be my first QAnon answer. I don't know anything about the guys. If uh, I'm not in the world of conspiracy theories, I'm not in the world of crackpots, I'm the world of helping President Trump get votes and turn people out. And so uh, I realize this might be like a little bit of a, uh, you know, a dog whistle for some folks in the media to kind of go down the rabbit hole on the conspiracy theory stuff. That's not the world I live in. I live in the real world where we try to help President Trump turn out votes. So you believe it is crackpot, as you said? I, I, I'm not into conspiracy theories. I don't uh, condone conspiracy theories. If they've been labeled uh, as something by a law enforcement organization, then I would take those um, those messages um, uh, seriously. But again, it's not something that I've researched. It's not something that I've spent a lot of time on. Again, I'm in the real world. I'm about trying to help President Trump turn out votes in swing states. And uh, uh, there might be a lot more people with a lot more free time in the internet. You know, people can do what they want in their own time. Well, in the real world right now, we have uh, a postal service hearing on Capitol Hill. Are you worried about Trump voters being able to receive their ballots by mail? Well, I do worry about Democratic governors who are coming in trying to change up the uh, the entire voting system, like what we saw in Nevada. So, a lot of folks may have heard some of the the rhetoric and the hyperbole, but might not may not have really drilled down into what's at play here with this. <clears throat> Here's the concern: is that we have, uh, for example, Governor Sisolak in in Nevada um, went and signed into law something where they would completely move Nevada to a vote by mail. They'd keep a couple of in-person polling stations open, but they would, and so people realize this universal vote by mail, you're sending out mass live ballots to people, whether they've requested them or not. So you don't know if they still live there. The The potential for fraud uh, is very big. We saw earlier this year in Pennsylvania, there were a lot of problems in the primary there. Patterson, New Jersey, that tried to do a vote by mail had over 20% error rate. Carolyn Maloney, the congresswoman from New York, I mean, they say that she won that race. I don't know if she won that race, Bob. I don't, I'm not sure if she really did. I don't think her opponent thinks that she won it. It took them six, seven weeks. They go and count them at the end. Here's the problem. You have states, uh, there are the six states that are fully vote by mail uh, as it is right now. So you have the Washington state, you have Oregon, you have Colorado, and a couple other states. The Secretary of State in Washington said it takes between five and 10 years to really get this right. Democrats are now trying to rush this through in a number of these states in five to 10 weeks. And so the concern here, uh, in my opinion, isn't even so much on the post office. Uh, the concern here is on these uh, governments of actually being able to uh, go and handle it. And in a case like Nevada, let's take a very real world right, but, application here. What about well, if you're a Trump on, voter, Jason? But hold on, I'm getting to that. But I got to make one one point here. So we talk about these ballots and when they're postmarked. So in Nevada, I think Bobby and I can agree that if the statute for a state says that uh, you just have to have a postmark by election day, then you should then be able to obviously that ballot is going to count. And that's just that's part of the rules. But if it's not postmarked in Nevada, 
you can still turn that in up to three days after the election with no postmark, which is kind of like Tip O'Neill back in the day of keeping the, the House floor vote open until you get enough votes in there to go and count them. And so this is, uh, this is uh, most Americans strongly oppose this kind of shady maneuvering, ballot harvesting, uh, political operatives handing things. Um, I think as far as Trump supporters, here's what my message to all Trump supporters would be. Uh, take advantage of vote by mail if that uh, opportunity comes your way. But, but, and this is the key here, make sure that your vote is received and it's counted. So show up to your polling precinct and ask, do you have me checked off? And guess what? If they don't have you checked off and they haven't received your ballot, then uh, then go and make sure that you vote. So I would be I would be extra careful on this. Make sure that your vote counts. There's nothing more important on November 3rd. So if you're an older Trump voter, you want them to mail in their ballot, but then go show up at a voting location, even if there's concerns about the pandemic for some older voters? Unless you're able to get confirmation from, say, the uh, the county registrar or maybe from the secretary of state. A lot of these places, uh, like I know, for example, in, in Florida, you can call the local county registrar and see if your vote has been received uh, and been tabbed. So if they've received your vote, then you're in good shape. You don't necessarily, but if you can't get a straight answer, make sure that your vote has been received and that it's being counted. Absolutely. Jason, you've encouraged just now Trump voters to vote by mail and then check with their voting precinct. Do the delays inside the Postal Service at this moment present a challenge then to the Trump campaign, a campaign that is through you encouraging Trump voters to vote by mail? Well, I think we've seen from the the testimony from uh, Louis DeJoy, um, but also with some of the recent comments that uh, the concerns raised by the post office about delays heading into the fall uh, on uh, due to some different reforms. Number one, that those were made before DeJoy took over. Uh, but anything that could in any way possibly uh, interfere with things has been postponed until after the election. DeJoy has uh, testified both written and verbally uh, that he believes that the post office will be able to uh, be able to handle things. President Trump has been very forthright that he wants to make sure that the post office gets the necessary funding. Uh, but here's the point, Bob, is that we can't talk about one thing but not talk about the other. So Democrats, uh, Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats brought folks back this week to talk about uh, postal uh, funding. And also they're uh, really, I mean, if we're just being honest here, kind of their scheme to go and change the voting system. Why aren't we talking about the unemployment? Jason, they had, a, they had a, Jason, the bill was a had some Republicans support it in the House of Representatives. It was twenty five billion, I believe, in additional funding for the post office. That's what it was. Uh, okay, so so you guys, I mean, uh, look, you guys picked off um, Mitt Romney, you know, on, on one of the impeach, impeachment votes, but that's you know, no, that's fine. You, you might have a stray cat every now and then, but the fact of the matter is, why isn't Nancy Pelosi back actually trying to do something about these unemployment benefits? about making sure that these are locked in so we don't have to uh, go with kind of this this roundabout way with the EOs. I mean, thank goodness President Trump's taking the action there. But I think it's just shameful that uh, Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats don't want to go and provide help to people. Uh, and I, I'm glad that President Trump keeps on pushing it. But uh, we shouldn't be trying to remake our entire election system with just a few weeks to go. And let's want every district uh, to look like the Carolyn Maloney district. And yeah, I mean, Bob, uh, I don't think you're Jason. quite as old as me, but uh, <laughs> but remember 2000 with the hanging chads? We don't want that in 20 places around the country. Well, if you don't want all this, Jason, you say, I, we don't have time to go over every single detail you've mentioned here. I will say that Washington Post has reported, uh, though you've offered all of these anecdotes, which we don't have time to go through, that there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud. I would just like well, to so, note that so, as a reporter. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So what would you call Patterson, New Jersey? 
Jason, I, I just said there's no pattern of widespread voter fraud. But Jason, one thing I want to ask you about that, Jason, what's the solution what? to everything you're saying? What's the pol what's the campaign's position on all this? President Trump has said he he would like to see law enforcement officials show up at polling locations. You're the campaign senior strategist. Do you agree with that position? I think we need to make sure that uh, polling locations are safe uh, and that people know that there uh, that there are law enforcement officials that are nearby if there ever needs to be uh, uh, if there's ever any incident or something that's getting out of hand. Uh, and I think that's what President Trump is speaking to. What does that mean out of hand? What, what would what would uh, merit law enforcement at a polling location? Well, I mean, if you're a Democrat like Joe Biden, you might want to send in a social worker since they want to go and reimagine police. Uh, but I would say if there were ever some incident where things are, are getting out of control or people don't feel safe uh, to go in and vote, then that might be a situation where you need to have uh, law enforcement. Is the campaign working with the administration on this project, on this idea? Uh, I'm not aware of any conversations uh, on this. Uh, that's not something that, uh, uh, that sounds like something that local uh, police departments or wherever local safety procedures um, and local law enforcement uh, uh, efforts would be dealing with, not something that the administration would be. L let me just make sure it's clear here, Bob, what President Trump is advocating for. Number one, he wants to make sure that we get our funding for the Postal Service. He wants to make sure that we're getting our funding for unemployment benefits, that people are being taken care of and we knock it off with this. He wants to make sure that everyone who's able to legally vote, legally vote, gets to vote, but only one time. He wants to make sure that when people vote, those votes count. He wants to make sure that political operatives can't manipulate um, uh, ballots and thinks that ballot harvesting is a bad idea. Once you start, I mean, you wouldn't take a winning lottery ticket and hand it off to a local Democratic Party operative. Uh, we want to make sure that people follow the rules. So if there are rules saying that you have to have things postmarked by a certain day, then those are the ballots that count. You can't go and wait until after the election and start counting ballots that don't have a postmark on them. So I think these are the principles that President Trump is looking at. It wants to make sure you have a fair electoral system. And here's the key, Bob. We also need to make sure that states are ready to handle this. Uh, under the failed leadership of Andrew Cuomo, New York was a complete disaster with the New York primary earlier this year. We saw in California with upwards of a half million uh, ballots that all got all screwed up. We saw the, uh, the rampant... Um, uh, abuse in Patterson, New Jersey. We saw the examples. I mean, uh, this is one thing with changing the system, Bob. Uh, take Philadelphia earlier this year. You still had dozens of people that showed up and voted, even though they had already voted um, by uh, by absentee ballot, not, not because they called up and said, hey, it wasn't there, but because they wanted to go and try to vote multiple times. And I think that's, of, that goes against the spirit. Due to this position you're taking on all of these issues, is it fair to say on election night, if the president's behind in the returns, he will not concede on election night? I think the question is going to be if uh, what Joe Biden's going to do, or I mean, by the time they actually get done counting, I'm not sure if he'll he'll be awake yet. Um, uh, you know, usually uh, cuts out pretty early. Uh, but I think as far as President Trump, I think that's more of a concern that the Democrats are going to have in this. Uh, but we just want to make sure that people, uh, that the votes are counted, uh, that they're counted fairly. Uh, one person gets one vote and everything is uh, is above board. I think that's the, the president's um, objective here. Jason, between now and November, you have a few, uh, some time to spend a lot of money in key states. How much money do you have reserved, one, for fall television spending, and two, where will you spend it? 
Yeah, uh, good question. So we have uh, roughly, I think it's about 185, 190 million that we have reserved from Labor Day until Election Day. Um, you know, when we look at the pathway of where we are, uh, we feel very good about uh, the states that President Trump carried last time uh, in the southern part of the country. So uh, we feel good about where we are in, in say, Arizona and Texas. Uh, Georgia, North Carolina, feel good about where we are in Florida. Obviously, that's a state that, uh, I mean, Florida's tough. You always got to stay in it, but we feel good about where we are right now and are confident that we're going to win it. We're going to have to spend a lot of time and money there. Um, you look at Ohio, you look at Iowa, two states that the president won last time. Uh, feel very confident about where we are with both of those. Um, obviously, we'll be making visits there. Then you take a look at the the four states in the upper Midwest and even to the, uh, the mid-Atlantic, kind of the Northeast with Pennsylvania. If President Trump is able to hang on to those previous states that I mentioned, then he just needs to win one out of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. So we have a number of pathways here. Democrats can't afford to lose a single one of those states. Now, here's a key thing as we take a look at Minnesota, and you're an expert of the map and, and following this. Minnesota is a state that's gone Democrat for a long time, obviously a state that um, uh, Ronald Reagan, even the great Ronald Reagan, grand you had a candidate uh, in Mondale that was from there, but uh, couldn't win in, in Minnesota. Um, we've had three polls in the last two weeks that have showed President Trump either tied or within the margin of error. Um, so we feel very good about that. Wisconsin, uh, we're in good shape in Michigan. Um, we've had two polls in last week that had us within uh, just a couple of points. So we feel good about there. And as the economy recovers, in particular in Michigan, we think that's a state that uh, holds a lot of promise. And don't just look at what I'm saying, Biden's spending a million bucks a week there on TV. Um, and so clearly they know they're in trouble there as well. And then of course there's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the, uh, the biggie. Uh, that's a state that uh, uh, admittedly President Trump was the reason why we won that one four years ago. I think some of us on the campaign were like, hey, it's a little bit cheaper to go spend and uh, focus on other areas. And he's like, nope, we're gonna win Pennsylvania. And he's the one who directed us to keep going back over and over and over and, and it worked out for him. Uh, so Pennsylvania we had, had uh, polls that showed either us tied or slightly ahead. Um, so Democrats, uh, Democrats have some challenges. They got to they got to sweep all four of those to have a chance at winning here. Jason, this convention is going to feature many members of the Trump family: uh, Judge Marianne Barry Trump, uh, Judge Marianne Trump Barry. You saw her critical comments about the president's character, which were told to the president's niece, Mary Trump. That was published in the Post over the weekend. Has Judge Barry been invited to the convention? Uh, I don't know. Um, I know that uh, President Trump is very fond of his sister and is very proud of what she's accomplished uh, as a judge. Uh, I've only heard him say positive things about his sister. Uh, I think that uh, sibling rivalries are probably as uh, uh, go all the way back to literally to the, the first family ever. So um, that's nothing new. And as these things happen when someone gets into the White House, the sibling rivalries get a little bit more attention. Uh, we saw that even with uh, Malik Obama, who criticized uh, his brother Barack Obama. And so, um, uh, you know, folks sometimes will come out of the woodwork and it might uh, um, uh, amplify, uh, you know, some of the sibling rivalries, but not anything that uh, we're particularly concerned about. Uh, just one question about Steve Bannon, who you've worked with professionally on a podcast. Uh, have you spoken to him since his arrest on fraud charges? Uh, I have not, and I hope that Steve has the opportunity to tell his side of the story. Uh, he's someone who's shown me uh, grace and kindness at various points in my life. I uh, hope he gets the opportunity to get out that and say that, and these are uh, some, some pretty serious charges, and so I think that uh, um, that's something that uh, he'll have to overcome. When you look ahead to the debates, Jason, just here in the final few minutes, 
Uh, what's your advice to Vice President Pence as he prepares for Senator Harris? Uh, you know what? I shared that with him last week. Uh, we were we were chatting about it a bit. So I, uh, as much as I want to give you the big scoop here, I got to keep that between uh, me and the vice president. But um, people underestimate uh, Vice President Pence. Uh, I don't think anyone expected him to come out and, and chop up Tim Kaine like he did four years ago. Um, he's, uh, he's he's a very, very good politician. There's a reason why uh, he was in Congress and then he was governor of the state of Indiana. Uh, but I would say, uh, since you brought up the debates, uh, and I, I mentioned this in the post a couple of weeks ago. Joe Biden's a very good debater. Joe Biden is good at this. He's been doing it for 47 years. Uh, he's had months in the basement to go and practice and get ready for this. Um, I think Joe Biden comes in as the prohibitive favorite uh, when it comes to debates. I mean, this is what he knows how to do. You look back, I've been literally watching all of his debates going back to 87. He gives the same answers for everything over and over and over. And so they can just kind of wind them up and put them there behind the podium. And it's like the, a little bit like the muscle memory. He can get back and, and he knows exactly what he's gonna say. He's been doing the same for decades. Um, that's uh, that, that comes from practice. Um, so I think he's gonna be much, uh, much better than I think a lot of my Republican and uh, fellow Trump supporters believe. And so that's why I try to tell them, hey guys, uh, don't go and set the bar so low for, for Joe Biden because he's actually gonna be pretty darn good. Jason, that's a classic political strategist move. Lower expectations for your own candidate, play up the other candidate ahead of a debate. Uh, who, who's playing Senator Harris in debate prep? Uh, that's another one that uh, I don't think I have permission to tell you, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let me Come see if on, I can- Come on, Jason, uh, if I can, make a little news I, here. I know, let me see if I can leak that, that one to you at another time, but uh, I gotta get the VP sign off on that. Your point about the vice president though, you, your argument that he is, such a great debater. It's historically incumbent presidents struggle in that first debate. Uh, are you, do you, do you take that same view? Do you have that same concern? When you look back at President Obama, he was seen by some of his allies to have struggled in that first debate and many other presidents uh, going back years. Well, I think two things uh, can be true at the same time. I think I can be uh, both keenly aware of what the historical trend is, uh, which I very much uh, am and uh, have even communicated that directly to uh, to the president, uh, but also knowing that uh, this ultimately will be about a contrast of ideas. This will be about two competing visions. And as much as Joe Biden didn't want to tell folks last week about what he really would try to do as president, we will have the opportunity in the debates to help fill in the uh, uh, the gaps there. Um, and he's not going to be able to slide by with um, a lot of the um, uh, the pablum and the, the platitudes uh, that we saw from the Democratic Convention. This could be a real contrast in ideas. Are people going to show up to vote on November 3rd saying, I want to vote for the guy who's going to raise my taxes $4 trillion or might shut the country down the first day that I, I uh, am sworn into office? I think the answer on that is no. That's going to be a key differential here. Jason, that's all the time we have this afternoon. Appreciate you coming by for this conversation as the convention begins. Hey, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.